Welcome to the Extraordinary Lives Podcast, where we talk about lives that go beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary, with the extra being Jesus. We'll be encouraged with amazing stories and helpful insights from the lives of ordinary people who have that extra, that supernatural difference that only Jesus can give. I'm your host, Ellen Bennett. Thanks for joining us. Being willing to ask forgiveness of our kids, that was modeled for me. And I think, you know, when you're faced with that, it's, oh, how can I not accept Christ? Because he's, he's beautiful. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to interview Matt Davis today. He is the director of the Rhetoric School and the Logic School of Horizon Prep in Rancho Santa Fe, which is a ministry of Horizon Church. And I actually taught there for nine years and just loved it. The teachers, the staff, the church support were all just amazing. And I love the heart of the school to have great academics, but to really care for the whole child, including spiritually. So I love being able to teach from a Christian perspective. And I really loved working with Matt because Matt has such a heart and I'm excited to introduce him on our show. Matt, tell us a little bit about what you do for Horizon Prep. Yeah, no, thank you, Ellen, for uh, for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to uh, be on your show. Yeah, so I've been working here at Horizon Prep for 18 years. So I taught here for 10 years um, as a history math teacher and then have been in my current role for the last eight years as the director. And so I get to work with amazing people like yourself, um, <laughs> our amazing teaching staff, who really is why I come to work each day. It's just fun to work alongside like-minded individuals doing God's work. And then I get to work with the 6th through 12th grade students who just keep life exciting. They're always high energy. It's fun hanging out and going to camp with them and working with them in the classrooms, outside the classrooms, jumping in and subbing here and there when needed. It's been a lot of fun. And you just seem so well suited for it because you have a heart for the students as well as organizational skills. I mean, you're coming up with the schedule and everything and it's it's a tough job, Matt. I admire you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Ellen. Yeah, it really comes down to having a great team. I think we have some great teachers that are gifted in those areas that come alongside me and help support and fill in the gaps where, where I'm not as strong. Thank you. <laughs> And you'll note that Matt is always humble as well, (laughs) which of course he hates me saying. But tell us a little bit about what your specific role is here. I mentioned that you're the director of the Rhetoric and Logic Schools. What does that mean? Why is it called Rhetoric and Logic? That's a great question, Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) So we are a classical school. So the Logic and Rhetoric, those are two of the three stages of the trivium. So the trivium is the stages of development. So we have the grammar stage, which is more or less kinder or first through fifth grade. And then the logic stage of development or the dialectic stage, which is sixth through eighth grade. And then the rhetoric stage. So it's ninth through twelfth. And just the stages of development. So in the grammar stage, students love to memorize. They're to memorize the back of a cereal box if you don't give them mm-hmm. something to read and memorize. So just orienting the instruction to meet the ways that they learn. I'm going very fast through yes. a brief classical crash course. <laughs> There's lots of other aspects to it, but 
And then there's middle school, the dialectic stage, the logic stage. Students love to debate and question, and so we teach them formal logic, more discussion-oriented humanities classes. And the School of Rhetoric, they're all about presenting themselves. So we give them tools to practice speaking and speaking well. Lots of discussions within the classroom. The Harkness discussion is what we utilize within our humanities classes. And so just training the kids in that format. And so trying to map the history with English, with the Bible as much as possible, the math and the science, just showing the integration of knowledge over the different courses for the kids um, is another example. And obviously it looks a little different at the grammar stage, the logic stage, and the rhetoric stage. But... Uh, there's a real brief overview of classical education and what we model our, our school and our classrooms after. That's great. I know students do a God project with mm-hmm. Bonnie Botsford, who is married to, of course, Bob Botsford, the pastor over at Horizon. And that's really a special time of really searching the Bible for answers. And then also they do a thesis. So they have a lot of research and writing projects as well in the rhetoric school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do the God Project, Bob and Bonnie, which really speaks into their senior thesis as well as their senior thesis speaking into the God Project. I mean, really knowing who God is and how to apply him to their lives and live for him. Obviously, we want that to affect all areas of their lives and the way that they think. You get the full gamut. I mean, horses to Mars to yes. the death penalty, you know, the, the more common controversial uh, topics. So it's really engaging and interesting to hear where the kids are coming from. I think one year a student talked about parenting. And, and yes, was, I remember yes, that. Like what's good parenting, bad parenting, and, and the ramifications of that that we are seeing within our culture. So yeah, it was really, really great. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I love that they get to pursue a topic mm. that they're truly interested in. Yes, absolutely. That's great. Awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about you. How did you come to develop this heart for the Lord, for other people? Let's take you back to your childhood. How did you even come to know the Lord? Mm. Uh, Yeah, so I, praise the Lord, was privileged to grow up in a Christian home and with an amazing mom and dad that loved the Lord. So we grew up here in in San Diego. Uh, My dad was assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel La Mesa, and then um, they wanted to help start the church, Calvary Chapel Mammoth Lakes up in Mammoth. So we moved up there in my middle school and high school years and loved that, obviously from the beach to the mountains. Can't go wrong. I think just the Christianity or Christ being modeled in my parents just through their encouragement, you know, how they handle situations, how they encourage me, you know, when you have are faced with a disappointment or a challenge, the coaching that, that you receive of being pointed back to God's word and the Bible and what God tells us in his word to trust in him, that he's faithful. And, you know, just that coaching, I think, when you're faced with Christ in the lives of people around you that, I mean, we don't display him perfectly because we're all fallen and sinful. One I think is done in in a real, real way. And, you know, as parents, we obviously go go wrong and we being willing to ask forgiveness of our kids. That was modeled for me. And I think, you know, when you're faced with that, oh, how can I not accept Christ? Because he's he's beautiful. Thankfully, I didn't have any walking away periods in my life. I accepted Christ very young. And yeah, it's just been a journey with him of, of growth and stretching and change to today. So yeah, I grew up up in Mammoth Lakes area, then went to college at Portland Menezrine and uh, back down here in San Diego. And that's where I met my wife and got married and have two awesome kids, Garrett and Hudson, who are uh, 10 and 12 years old. And uh, yeah, that's kind of a brief overview. Yeah, That's great. So tell me a little bit about Garrett's latest accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a little tangent and give it a context. My father-in-law is one of the most fit guys that I know. He's 
70 plus years old and his passion is all aspects of fitness. And so I've reaped the benefits of being able to come alongside him and go on various adventures and outings. And he has developed this philosophy to push himself and a challenge. You know, that's when the most growth takes place is when we're faced with challenges or disappointment. So he challenges himself physically once a quarter to have a, a crucible event on the calendar. So whether that's hiking a mountain or doing a Spartan race or going backpacking or uh, swimming La Jolla Cove, you know, we've done various things over the years, you know, just to challenge himself and to stretch and to grow. So it's been really fun to come alongside him and do all those amazing adventures. But that's also the context that my wife grew up in. Um, he wasn't always that way, but she's one of five sisters. And so they've all done various adventure activities growing up. One of those kind of rites of passage is, is hiking Mount Whitney. Wow. Um, which is how high? Yeah, uh, 14,500 feet, more or less. And the first time they did it, my father-in-law and my wife, Sarah, was 16 years old and they, and they backpacked it. So it's wow. 11 miles up, 11 miles down. But then they found out that you could do it in one day. And so, oh, wow, let's ramp up this challenge. And so I think the next year they did it in one day. And so then wow. because Sarah did it, her other sisters had to do it. <laughs> so they all did it at various ages, but they've all summited. And then my son comes along. It's just become a, a culture of our family is we do Mount Whitney. And so wow. he wanted to be the youngest to hike Mount Whitney. And so that. he's 12 and the youngest uh, of Sarah's sisters was 14. And so, well, well, okay, we can submit and get permits uh, this year. And if it doesn't work out, no problem. At least you have one more year to still get your title of youngest yes. to, to summit. And so it's it's become really hard in the last few years to get permits just because it's really popular. So you put in for like 15 different dates and submit. And there's been actually a couple of years that I haven't gotten any permits. So I was thinking chances of us getting it were pretty slim, but we got permits for July 4th this year. So we got the campground and went up and yeah, he did a great job. Started hiking at 3 a.m and summited around two in the afternoon and then was back to the trailhead. He was a little faster than we were. Um, <laughs> so he got back around 9, 9 p.m. But yeah, he's just a strong hiker. He loves adventures and being outside. And so now his brother's motivated to see if he can beat his brother's record. Oh, so we'll see, we'll see on that front. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I know I was really impressed and proud of Garrett's feet tackling that. Feet and feet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm proud of him too. Way to go, Garrett. <laughs> I'm curious about something you said earlier, and that was that you are a pastor's kid. They call that a PK. How did that affect you growing up? I know a lot of times families can feel like they're in a fishbowl if they're leading a church. How did that work out for you? Did mm. you ever feel that way, or how did your parents handle that? That's a great question. I didn't realize that until I was older that my parents had that conversation with me of saying, hey, you know, Matt, just so you know, oftentimes pastor's kids feel this way. And I was like, I never felt that. I think my mom worked diligently to counter that. So I think as a pastor's wife, and for better or worse, I don't know how it played out as a kid. You're just not aware of all the ramifications of what that looks like within a church community. But I think there's pressures on a pastor's wife to be at all the events, to lead a women's ministry, to look a certain way, have your kids act a certain way. I think my, my mom just, I mean this in the best way, but rebelled yes. against that yes. in a sense of ensuring that she wasn't at every event. Like we weren't at every Sunday church service. You know, if we weren't feeling well or we had an event the night before or a family party or whatever it was, she was like, oh, we're not, we're not gonna go today. And just, and just my dad would go to church. And so I think just her attitude and heart of not succumbing to the 
pressures of others' expectations helped us as kids not feel any pressure to act or behave a certain way. I just felt like I was just like any other kid in the youth group. I believe it would come back to my mom, um, obviously my, my dad as well, but he's got other responsibilities to shepherd the church and th those aspects. But he obviously supported my mom's decision and yeah, letting us stay home when you stay home and be present when we were going to be present. And so yeah, it all, I think, worked out for the better. That's great. It sounds like she had a real sense of her freedom in Christ, mm -hmm. that Christ loved mm -hmm. her. That's Amen. who she's living for yes. versus other people and their opinions. Well and said. Well um, said. that's really fantastic. That's a great mm -hmm. model. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear some God stories from you. What are some things that stick out in your life where you just know it was God at work? Mm. Good question. I think there's lots of stories. I've actually started writing them down in my phone. You know, stories from my childhood and just kind of things that I think point to God's faithfulness. Ebenezer's in our lives want to make signposts that just point to God. So, but I definitely have, have a couple big ones that stand out for me. Uh, I think one would be in meeting my wife at Point Loma Nazarene. I worked in the rental center there. So we'd take college kids out backpacking and rock climbing and kayaking throughout the year. And so one of the trips that we went on was uh, to Lake Havasupaya, which is a section of the Grand Canyon. And so it was a week-long spring break backpacking trip there. And my wife was currently a commuter at Point Loma. And so she was living with her family and driving in. And so to help build the community at Point Loma, they, they raffle off one free ticket on, on a trip for the commuter students. Uh, just to encourage them to join to help bring them in as part of the community. Mm -hmm. um, and so my wife, as a commuter, just didn't know a lot of the kids there and was essentially, I don't want to go spend nine days with strangers and not showering and being stinky. It's just <laughs> doesn't sound, doesn't sound good. And so her mom was, Sarah, you should go, you should go. And so finally she's like, okay, mom, there's this ticket they're raffling off. If I win, I'll go. That means that, you know, God wants me to go and participate. Her mom's like, okay, fine. That's, that's good. So she put her name in, in the raffle and she won. Wow. So I was like, okay, Lord, I'll go. Fine, Mom, I'll go. <laughs> and so she joined the trip, and I think there was, I forget exactly how many, I think 12, 15 other people on that trip. And um, somewhere along the way, we sparked up conversation. She heard that I grew up in Mammoth, and growing up with her dad, they'd gone snowboarding up there as one of their adventures. So as she started asking me questions, and at one point we played a Ultimate Frisbee game. I think we were pretty close to the, to the Grand Canyon Rim, but it's a long drive out there, and stretch mm -hmm. our legs, we're playing Ultimate Frisbee, and both went for the frisbee and collided and she went all the way down to the ground and she was able to pop back up and ask me if I was okay before wow. I had a chance to even ask her are you okay <laughs> I'm like whoa this girl's tough yeah. um and so yeah I think just that interaction that she was kind considerate engaging but also very tough and strong obviously we spent eight days backpacking in the Grand Canyon and spending day hikes together and building that relationship. Yeah, the beginning of a really fun relationship. And we courted through college. I graduated in July with my teaching credential. We got married in August, and then I started working here at Horizon Prep that mid-August. So it was a big series of events yes. um, all, all in one month. Definitely. Um, uh, but yeah, that's kind of the beginning of, of our story. Also, I could say that in getting hired here at Horizon is another, for sure, God story of a connection through my wife. I graduated in July, sending out 
resumes all over the world to Honduras to Montana. I was all over the place. <laughs> and obviously San Diego as well. Sarah had a friend. We were at some, I forget exactly what it was, but there was a family friend there. And so Sarah was sharing with her, hey, yeah, you know, Matt's looking for a teaching job. And so the friend's like, oh, I, who's a teacher? Let me, let me call her and see if they're hiring any teachers at their school. And so she just called up her friend and her friend happened to be at another friend's house who worked at Horizon at that time. And so it was a, like a friend of a friend of a friend. Wow. And so she heard the conversation and said, oh yeah, we're Horizon's hiring. You know, we're, we're, we're looking for some teachers. And so they had me come in the next week and meet with the principal and they hired me on right then. So it was a great fit. And that was 18 years ago, uh, wow. which is which is hard to believe. So I taught uh, history and math. And yeah, I think just the Lord will clearly open up doors to place you where he wants you. And I think to be reminded of God's faithfulness, I think is very important. Yes, I agree. Just writing those events down can help us, whether in good times or hard times, just to go back and, and see God's faithfulness and probably even Amen. for your kids to see God's yes. faithfulness eventually one day. That's great. And it sounds like in both instances, God really put you where you were well suited, well fitted. So you mm-hmm. and Sarah seem like such a great team. Mm-hmm. And then I believe you're just such a great leader at Horizon Prep. And and I agree with you. I do just love the teachers here in their hearts. And it's a special bunch mm-hmm. for sure. Yes, I agree. So tell me a little bit about what you love about Sarah <laughs> and how are you raising your kids? Mm. Great question. Marriage is hard. Um, you know, you have two sinful individuals trying to not only live together, but also raise kids together. Um, and I think just the sanctifying process, you think you're doing pretty well as a single individual and then you get married and the Lord uses marriage to reveal all your blind spots. And then you think, okay, we've gotten over that. Let's have kids. And there's a million more blind spots revealed as you're having kids. But, um, I think having a like-minded individual equally yoked, and I know the Lord refers to that as being a believer, but I think there's a lot to be said about like-minded or similar backgrounds. And I think it was a blessing for us as we have similar backgrounds growing up, similar experiences, but also we just love to learn and love to discuss and love to read. We've made reading a part of our family culture. It's great. Um, and so I think, you know, having individual that's serious about their faith. And I mean, we love to not debate, but discuss points in the Bible or what we're learning on a Sunday or books that we're reading. I think just being a lifelong learner with your spouse, I think is huge. It makes makes a lot of fun. And we've done the same as parents. Sarah is a uber researcher. Mm -hmm. And so anytime she needs to learn something, she will research the heck out of it. And then she kind of gives me the bullet points or the cliff notes. And it's incredible to have that. And so we've stumbled across the program well, actually, her parents did it as well, but now re- redone it for new parents. Growing Kids God's Way was the old program, but now it's called Tree of Life. Growingfamilies.life yes. is the website. And we just have found a wealth of information and knowledge and just helping us be good parents. How to take God's word and apply it and live it out and disciple our kids in that. There's a million parenting books out there and we've read lots of them, (laughs) but I feel like Parenting from the Tree of Life, it gives you a procedure for when your kids do something. It's like, okay, yeah, yes, you should discipline. Yes. But like, how do you do that? It's like, when they do this, you should do that. And it's not, well, if you don't do that, it's wrong or sinful, but it gives you a way that we feel like the discipleship the model they lay out, it just honors the Lord. It's speaking life into them, into the family, developing a family culture that is healthy. You know, if you develop a a healthy lawn that keeps the weeds out Mm -hmm. uh, versus, okay, let's pull all the weeds. Like, well, that's good. Then you don't have weeds in your yard, but let's develop a healthy lawn that 
there weeds don't grow. Um, and so I think that's developing a healthy culture within your family that helps your kids not be as swayed by the culture or influences from outside your family, from uh, different culture, then instilling their, those virtues and values that will hopefully guide them as they get closer to leaving our home and leaving before we send them, yes. send them out into the world. So I think it's been a huge impact for us as parents through that. And that's obviously spilled over into me as, as a director, as an administrator, and just having that heart as I meet with kids and meet with students. You know, those opportunities to disciple, to correct are uh, often in my role, mm-hmm. uh, just because that's, that's part of my, my job description. I think meeting kids in their brokenness and, and parents in the brokenness when their kids do something wrong or there's challenges or hardships or disagreements, being able to speak truth into their lives, speak life, to correct in love. I think that's where Christ shows up powerfully and does a work in the lives of those kids in those moments. And so I think it's an enjoyment seeing Christ work through my position, but it's all connected as, learn, you know, as a parent. You learn one thing in, in one area of your life. It obviously spills into many others. And so I've, I really enjoyed my journey with Sarah, uh, just learning and growing and becoming a better leader, a better man, a better school principal, a better friend. It's been good. I often think that I didn't really know how selfish I was until I got married. And then I really didn't know how selfish I was Mm -hmm. until I had kids. So so I I can relate to that. And I love the idea of you speaking life into your kids, into your family, into even people here at school. What would be a practical example of that? One thing that comes to mind is Parenting from the Tree of Life speaks to giving our kids God names. We, We talk about Garrett, our son, Garrett the Courageous, or Hudson the Generous. I don't want to put them in a box, but I want to encourage them in virtues that point them to Christ, that help give them an identity within God's Word, within Him. And so I think the same thing can be true here at school, right? What you see in other individuals, and you know, we all have our people in our lives that stand out as having more potential for growth. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and so that's that positive wording. Yes, exactly. It's true. It is. I'm seeing the good in them and calling it out and saying, Hey, I love how you, even if it's something small, I love how you were very patient while I came around the room before I came to you to answer your question. You know, I loved how you picked up that trash as you were walking by. You know, I, I appreciate that. Um, even though they may have done you know, a dozen other things wrong, mm-hmm. uh, but trying to find what is good and calling it out. Because I think that's how you develop that healthy lawn is that you're calling out the good, you're nurturing what is good, and and that's what will grow. And the bad, the sin, the negativity, whatever it is, will diminish, which is obviously then less need for, for correction. And that's obviously a long, over long periods of time. You know, we have students here that have been here for one, two, three, four years or, or more. And they come in and definitely rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after a couple of years of being mentored and discipled by our teachers and by the fellow classmates, they're fun people to hang out with, you know, where they came in almost a little bristly, like, oh, I don't know if Anyone's going to want to hang out with these kids. Uh, but just through love and through the changing power of Christ and people around them, there's significant change. And it's not just an outward change. It's a change of the heart. Um, I think that really, truly changes who they are. Hopefully that answered your question. Yes, I love that. And I think, too, part of that is pointing out who they are in Christ, Amen. which is exactly what you're saying. But the fact that we all also really need that positive mm-hmm. reinforcement as well. So I like those two mm-hmm. two ideas merging together there. Good. One reason for this podcast is to talk about how we have ordinary lives mm. 
but it's really the Lord, it's Jesus who can make the difference in our lives and give us that extra, that extraordinary part of our lives. And you've already mentioned how he's worked in some great ways. How about just in your thoughts or what you've been learning? Anything you'd like to share? Yeah, my most most recent insight that I feel like the Lord has kind of laid before me is a combination of, of a few books that I've been reading. One is we're having our staff uh, this summer go through Teaching to Change Lives by Dr. Hendricks. And so he goes through the John Milton's Seven Laws of Teaching, but does it in a less dense way. John Milton's very dense and heavy, and it's, it's rich reading, yes. so you have to take your time. Uh, where he, he has very uh, engaging stories that keep it a little bit lighter, but still gets the point across. One of John Milton's points is those that learn the most are those that are doing or Obviously, we know that the teacher learns the most because obviously you have to know your content area, you have to teach it, but to engage the learners in that, that's when the most learning takes place. And so also I'm going through Gentle and Lowly with my brother-in-law. And so one of the, the recent chapters was on was on the Holy Spirit. And it's talking about how Christ, when he was talking to his disciples, it's good that I leave you because the helper is coming after me. So thinking that it was, it's not good that Christ goes away, but it's good that we receive the helper and he's going to be inside of us. And I, and I loved how, I forget the author of Gentle Noli. I think it's Dane Ortland. Okay. So he says that Christ is with us or he was with his disciples. And it's almost like a postcard of a beautiful place. So it's like, yes, Christ is with you. And it's, you know, he's with you. He's coaching you. You can read about it. You can see a picture of it. He's there, but the Holy Spirit is actually like experiencing it. So it's experiencing Christ in us. So he comes to live in us. It's like sitting on the beach, not looking at a picture of the beach, just sitting on the beach, drinking the, the cold drink and feeling the breeze of the of the ocean on your face. It's that stark contrast of walking with Christ, but then having the Holy Spirit in us and actually experiencing the Trinity in us. And that's coming full circle here. That's where the learner learns the most, right? Is being like Christ involves us in the process of sanctification and lives in us as we learn, as we grow. Like he is not just walking alongside of us, but in us and we can call out to him and he will answer. And yeah, I guess it's experiencing him fully through his spirit, I guess is kind of the profound thought <laughs> that I've learned recently through the combination of these different readings. And That's a really great word picture, the postcard yeah. versus actually even being at that place mm-hmm. and having the spirit in us gives us that tangible relationship mm-hmm. and tangible help. You mentioned the word sanctification. So I've been looking at Keller's book about Galatians. It's Mm. called Galatians for You. Mm -hmm. And I love the study because he really emphasizes how we truly are righteous already. Jesus's death on the cross has made us righteous, but we don't always act that out, right? Mm-hmm. So that's part mm-hmm. of that sanctification where we're growing to be more like Jesus each day. I also think it's important for us to remember how that's always for our best. Mm-hmm. Um, sin is not good for us. It's going against what God has for us. It's going against God himself. And by being humble to learn and listen and allow God to speak into our lives and the Bible to speak into our lives can just truly grow us closer to the Lord, closer to others, and then also really be a benefit for us as well as those around us. Mm -hmm. Amen. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, This Ellen. has been great. And I do want to mention, this is actually round two because I <laughs> lost our first interview on my computer. And I knew I needed to call Matt right away afterward just to let him know I'm so sorry. And I have to tell you, I felt so stupid and so bad about having to come back when he's so incredibly busy. But at the same time, I knew that Matt would be so accepting, so gracious when I told him the news. And sure enough, he was. So here we are two days later. So thank you, Matt. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, and hopefully this one's better. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Thank you, Ellen, very much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. This is Ellen Bennett with the Extraordinary Lives Podcast. Thank you, still recording. Oh, you're good. See, I need you.